It's been a long one, (laughs) a very long one. So I, um, I have one child already. He's 10. He'll be 11 in December. And he was born two years after my HIV diagnosis, which was in 2008. And he has just proven so much to me. Like at that moment that I was able to give birth to a child while living with HIV vaginally and for him to come out negative, it just proved to me, which just sparked another fire that I'm no threat to you because if I can create life inside of my body and that life be negative, then I'm no threat to, you know, the person that I pass on the side of the street or that I engage in conversation with or, you know, that I choose to share my life with. So that has been remarkable. And being his mom has been one of the greatest things ever. Never thought that I would do that again. I thought that that was one and done. And then at the beginning of this year, I found out that I was pregnant again. And, you know, a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings has gone behind it. But these two journeys have looked so different. And I'm grateful to have the support that I have and to be here. And so, like we just said, in less than 24 hours, I will be welcoming another life, a girl this time. I'm Anika Noni Rose, and this is Being Seen, an in-depth exploration of culture's role in resolving the tensions between how we are seen and how we see ourselves. Focused on Black women, Being Seen is a space to explore culture with leading artists, writers, activists, and entertainers. If we create nuanced and accurate cultural portrayals of identity and experience, we have an opportunity to reduce stigma and change perception, impacting everything from HIV to institutional inequity. As women, our experience is often connected in some way to motherhood. And often, motherhood is very narrowly defined as the act of giving birth and of raising children. It's also a landscape that is filled with bias and stigma. Assumptions placed on us of our desire to be mothers, the way we define it for ourselves, what it looks like, and the ways in which it is supposed to fulfill us. Motherhood and mothering is so much bigger than that. It can look like so many things, including legacy, our relationship to our ancestors, our role in community, the way we foster movements, and our care for our children, however we may choose to define that. Caitlin Greenidge, author and historian, helps us to imagine and understand the ways in which Black motherhood can be seen as freedom outside the confines of assumption through her characters like Liberty Sampson. So that kind of thinking didn't didn't really go that much into creating the book, but before I had her, because of this was the book project, I, I was thinking really deeply about all the different ways that um, motherhood is represented, all the different ways we can think about motherhood, and particularly how we can think about motherhood as Black women. And 
how there is Black motherhood as it's understood from people who are not Black women, which is oftentimes, you know, Black motherhood is pathology. Like, we must be doing something wrong to our kids. We're, you know, we're going to mess up our kids in some sort of way. We can't be trusted with our own children. That whole narrative and undercurrent that is um, either implicit or explicit in sort of any move you make as a Black mother. And then also, you know, motherhood within our own communities, how we ourselves view it, which is something sort of completely different and other. And, and I think offers a different understanding of motherhood than sort of traditional white feminist understandings of it. You know, I think I read a lot from Black women artists who also were mothers, who also had experienced motherhood. And the way that they spoke about motherhood and creation and their understanding as artists was really different from sort of like the traditional, I don't know, like... Uh, Virginia Woolf or like yellow wallpaper, you know, like my kids are sort of against me and and there's no, it's either them or me in my creative life kind of thing. You know, you have that sort of tradition and then you have a tradition of someone like Lucille Clifton, who spoke really eloquently about being a poet and a mother. And one of the reasons why she was a poet is because it allowed her, you know, just that that was a medium that was just short enough that she could create and work on something while being a mother and sort of that image of her having her typewriter at her kitchen table while making her kids peanut butter sandwiches, like that whole other way sort of of thinking about it and and understanding it um, was really appealing to me. The judgments placed on motherhood are many, including who should and shouldn't get to be one, who motherhood is available for and what it has to look like in order for it to be good or even okay. Stigma is often an unfortunate accompaniment to motherhood and HIV. When those two spaces overlap for women, particularly Black women, the burden can be heavy. And the best way we can change that is educating ourselves and supporting women and advocating for what they want to do. Sierra Coven, community advocate and soon-to-be mother for the second time. One of the big issues around HIV and motherhood is how much there is a lack of education about what is possible, as well as a lot of misinformation. What are the biggest misperceptions and what do you think that everyone needs to know? Concerning motherhood? Mm-hmm. is that motherhood is hard by itself. Like, there are so many challenges by itself, whether you're living with HIV or not. And I think that some credit must be given to that. And it is still possible after HIV diagnosis. Does it change things? A little bit. Does it look different for, you know, the person that is not positive? Certainly, but it is totally possible. It's up to you. Nobody else can make that decision for you. And you have the right, whether living with HIV or not, to advocate for yourself and for it to go the way that you want it to. Definitely made, you know, some mistakes. I won't say mistakes. I allowed providers during my first pregnancy because it was so close to my diagnosis. It's just like, well, I don't know anything, so I'm trusting you all to tell me what my best options are, to give me the best advice, and not understanding at the time that I was being swayed in however they wanted me to go, you know. Their biases were coming into those appointments, and I was just following along with them because I knew no better. No, over these last 10 years and growing in my advocacy, 
this pregnancy, I have been able to, you know, call a lot of shots. I have fired doctors, have ended up with a new team. I have made a very strong stance to say I'm breastfeeding this child. Like, I'm so nervous. But tomorrow, I will have the opportunity to sit inside of an office and be backed up by OBGYN, a pediatrician, infectious disease, because I've done my homework and I have sat down and said, this is how I want it to go. And they're going to listen to me. And if they don't, we're going to have problems because I have already put in the work to do this. So motherhood, it looks different for all of us. All of us. No two people's experiences are going to be the same. It's yours. Own it and make it go the way that you want it to. I love that you said all of that because I think that, you know, not only are you dealing with motherhood being life-changing <laughs> in so many different ways, um, also dealing with um with HIV and whatever somebody is thinking about you when you walk in the room because of that, but also being a black woman in the medical system, which is a whole nother ball of wax. You can walk in with not even an allergy and be a black woman and be and be prepared to receive lesser care. So I I think that not only do you have the right to advocate for yourself, you have the responsibility to advocate for yourself. And I don't think that we always know that. So the fact that you're doing that is remarkable. The fact that you have armed yourself with the information that you need and the team that you need behind you. And many times we don't realize, yes, you can fire a doctor. You don't have to have that same doctor. You don't have to be terrorized by somebody who has decided that they have a plan for you that doesn't fit with your plan for you. Um, so brava. For, for doing that because so many times we get intimidated walking into that room and, and we feel so alone. And I think that it is brilliant that you have done that for yourself and that you're teaching other people to do the same, that you're passing that lesson on. Um, so thank you for that. The gift of mothering and motherhood, it can come in so many forms, but the people who have loved us, supported us, and who we have called mother change us and we change them. The way that we mother our children, but also mother ourselves. Raquel Willis, activist, writer, and media strategist. So who is who is your mother? And <laughs> <laughs> talk about your relationship and how, you know, how it impacts you as an individual, how you impact her as an individual. I see she joined uh, PFLAG. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk about her. I am, I am inspired by the love that you all have. Yeah, you know, I, I, she is like air to me. You Oof. know, she is, she is all the elements. Um, and, and so it, it's often, it's so interesting um, to be asked about her because she is just there, right? She is just like that presence. It's, it's for me a lot of times. Well, duh, you know, like, yes. Um, but my mom um, is such a testament to transformation herself, which I think mm. is so beautiful, right? I, I, You know, people get hung up on my transformation as a trans person, but I think her transformation as a, a Black woman born and raised in the South, honey, you know, who had her own expectations to deal with, you know, it, it's so interesting to have witnessed her journey 
And one of the things I think that really put that in perspective, you know, my father passed when I was 19. I was um, in my second year of college, second semester, second year of college. They, my parents had literally just dropped me back off on campus. And within the next few days, my father had a stroke out of nowhere at 57. Mm. Mm. Um, and we thought he was going to be okay. And then he wasn't. And mm. we lost him that quickly. And, you know, so I've seen my mom, you know, firsthand because I was the only kid who, I, I'm so much younger than my brother and sister. They're uh, tw- uh, nine and 12 years older than me, respectively. Mm. So they were off, you know, they had lives, had children and and uh, spouses. And so witnessing her um, go through, be gutted, right, by the death of the love of her life after uh, almost 30 years mm. was wild. And so one of the things that stuck with me is this conversation where she said, you know, I never got to figure out who I was outside of who I was to someone else. Mm. I was somebody's daughter. Then I was somebody's wife. And then I was somebody's mother. Um, And, you know, she's in this part of her life now in her 60s where she's still all of those things, right? But there's this new category that has been carved out for her to find herself. And so it's been interesting as I've kind of come into myself coming out of my 20s now, we're both in this journey of of growth and transformation. And, and I think it's been such a beautiful kind of parallel track despite all the difficulties. Motherhood deserves more of our imagination in the way we define it, how we understand the people who have done it, and the ways it has shifted the world. Caitlin Greenwich. Of her husband, in the book, Liberty says, he does not have a big enough imagination to imagine me free beside us. Woo, that's deep. (laughs) (laughs) That is a word. You said a word. If we are to define motherhood expansively as the creating, bearing, birthing, and nurturing of something, where have we seen the unique and specific imagination of Black women use that experience of mothering to place their fingerprints on the world? Oh, so many people, you know, so so many classics of Black women's artistry come from that experience. Like, just mm-hmm. off the top of my head, we're, we are, I forget what year we are for the anniversary of um, Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, but that's an album about motherhood. We don't think about it that way, but that mm-hmm. whole album is about how do Zion? I become an artist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> how do I become an artist and how am I going to keep creating and working in this genre, hip hop, that tells me that I'm not supposed to have this part of my life? Um, but let me, what does that look like? And actually let me prove to you that I'm, I'm still in, engaged in multiple levels as an artist. While birthing a completely different genre. Right. Within right. the space of hip hop. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, uh, I think about something like, um, you know, probably the biggest example is Morrison herself. You know, all of, so many of those novels, Beloved being the chief among them, but really, a lot of them are about um, motherhood and the different ways that Black women throughout different decades and centuries in American history are experiencing it. The essence of mothering, 
defining it expansively and understanding the ways in which it comes from sometimes unexpected but essential places, defining community and leading movements, a mother's love. I feel like it's part of the what does the motherhood, what does motherhood mean to you question and how do we allow people to talk about motherhood outside of the space of ovaries? Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you know, for me, motherhood is, is so expansive. I, I think what I've learned, particularly from my mother... Um, my biological mother, is that, you know, we have to see people as more than just roles, right? And so what does it mean to consider motherhood beyond just being a role, but actually like a part of someone's essence? You know, maybe it's an offshoot of their empathy that they have the ability Mm. to mother folks. Um, It's a a superpower in a lot of ways, right? Mm. And when I think about motherhood, particularly within the queer and trans community, it comes often in unlikely bodies from unlikely experiences. So I have trans community mothers like Miss Major, like Miss Didi Chambly in Atlanta, Georgia, like uh, the late Miss Cheryl Courtney Evans or Monica Roberts, all Black trans women who have done important work in their respective fields. Um, And they have just been guiding lights for younger trans people who happen to be in their vicinity. You know, sometimes they'll Mm -hmm, seek people mm -hmm. out and they'll be like, oh, you you need some some love, right? And that Mm -hmm. is such a Black, queer, and trans thing to be able to see, particularly younger folks who need a type of love and support that you know they're probably not getting from their origin family. Mm. And that's what I appreciate. I think the other thing about motherhood, too, is within social justice work and Black trans movement, a lot of us are mothers to each other, right? And so it's not always this age thing. And it's kind of this, like, reciprocal relationship you know i've i've said sometimes you know my sisters are my self-care or my siblings are my self-care and they're just conversations that i can only have with my my other black trans girlfriends or homies because they will understand and be able to share how to navigate through them in a way that maybe i couldn't talk to you know, my biological mother or my sister or other folks from my origin family um, and experience. And I think that is a beautiful thing, that mothering is that expansive, that it can also be reciprocal between friends and comrades and and homegirls. You know, it's almost like waiting to exhale, like the movie, (laughs) Um, which... I make a habit to watch anytime I'm going through like a breakup or I'm like hung up on somebody. But we're not going to go down that that (laughs) route, right? But what those sisters are to each other 
Mm-hmm. Um, and not biological sisters, right? Our mothers, in a sense, they help to heal each other. They're empathetic to each other. They share and compare notes, all of these different things. And so I think we see beautiful models of that um, all the time. We just don't respect it as that. When motherhood is often portrayed as confining, an obligation, or a restricted space, how can we understand it as freedom and determination? If we looked at it in this way, what would that change for Black mothers, communities, and our children? Now, you've said mother-daughter relationships are like the central relationships in my life, unquote, and that you took inspiration from Toni Morrison, who once described motherhood as the most liberating thing that ever happened to me. Unquote. That idea of motherhood as a catalyst for self-discovery became a refrain toward the end of the novel when Liberty reads a letter from her mother. It says, quote, I cannot think of a greater freedom than raising you, unquote. So can you talk a little bit about the freedom of motherhood. I remember watching this um, documentary on Toni Morrison. She talked mm-hmm. about she had her children and she started to write in the morning. The morning became sacred for her. Mm-hmm. And she was so much more um, creative in that space. Um, it is not often seen as a space of freedom, motherhood. So can you talk a little bit about that freedom? Yeah, I think that freedom comes within... Um, the relationship that you are building with your child. Uh, and for me, that that quote on freedom and motherhood from Morrison was, um, when I was writing the novel, I hadn't had a child yet. So it was just a really interesting um, thing to consider about how I wanted to structure the book and sort of the things around it. And now as a as a writer, sort of thinking about that space and what happens in the book, you know, I was thinking of motherhood as... This space, particularly, um, I'm going to make it specific to Black women, particularly as Black women, so much of our existence is mediated and so many decisions that we make about ourselves and our own life are questioned by the wider world. And, and mm-hmm. the assumption that we, we we don't have the wherewithal to make dis- make responsible decisions for ourselves, that there has to be another person involved, whether it's a man or the state or your employer or something like we can't, um, the, the entire American project tells black women in particular, we can't be trusted to determine things for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And motherhood is a space of determination for both oneself and one's children um, in terms of what you're going to impart to your children, how you're going to teach them how the world works, how you're going to talk to them about truth and justice and beauty and sort of all those big things that come up, whether you uh, want them to come up or not when you're raising a small child, because those are the questions they have about the world and and children are really direct. They will ask you those questions in in sort of the most direct and disarming and and really um, uh, uh, simple, yet making it really hard and complicated for you (laughs) way possible. Um, And those moments of what you're going to say and answer to that, that's where I think the freedom lies, because you are in conversation with another human being and really shaping their worldview and what they're going to be agreeing with and arguing against for the rest of their lives is is what you say to them in those moments. And that is an, a, a huge level of responsibility and freedom. And that is the place where 
Um, you know, there is no state mediation. The rest of the world can tell us that we're completely wrong or crazy for saying that to our kids. But we know in the one-on-one that we're having with that child in that moment that what we're saying to them hopefully is our truth or the thing that we want them to follow or understand about the world. So that's where I think the freedom comes from. It's that freedom that's inherent in creation. We're sort of creating that shared understanding of the world. It's a very different understanding of freedom than I think is in the wider American context. Like in American politics, when we talk about freedom, we mean the freedom to do something to someone else and get away with it, right? Mm. I have a freedom to not wear a mask and get you sick and not get in trouble. Or I have a freedom to say a racial slur to you and you not say and not get in trouble and my life won't be ruined and you'll and you'll just have to take it. Like that's how we measure freedom in the wider world. That's not the type of freedom that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the type of freedom that comes from um, creating and, and thinking of an, an alternative world for your your kids that you're building together. Motherhood and empowerment. Regulating the body. A mother's choice. So when I found out in February, it was with my infectious disease doctor who I had been with since 2012, 2013, I'm like, yes, I'm pregnant and I want to breastfeed and da-da-da-da-da. And the provider goes, well, you know, I don't really know if that's going to be able to happen. Why do you want to breastfeed? I'm like, because, you know, that's the natural thing. I want my baby to have this breast milk and whatever, whatever. So she tries to push the milk bank on me. I didn't realize that it was resistance coming, but as this conversation went on, I understood what was going on. Like, no, I don't want to get my baby somebody else's milk. I want to get the baby my milk. Well, the pediatrician that we work with here, you know, she's known to call DHS on parents that decide that they want to breastfeed or that choose to breastfeed. Like, no, well, I don't want DHS to, you know, be called. I'm a good parent. And clearly, you can breastfeed because I know this girl that's breastfeeding. Well, no, no doctor in America is going to want to work with you if that's what you choose you want to do. No, this isn't right because I know this white girl down Virginia that is breastfeeding. So how can I get like that? So I end that conversation so upset. I call whoever I have access to, one of them being a girl. We're really good friends now. And I'm like, how did you get the breastfeed? Like, what? how did they not call DHS on you? She's like, I'm so sorry that was your experience. That was not mine. My provider actually came to me and asked me, how did I choose to feed my child? And her response immediately was, oh, no, I know I have to breastfeed. I mean, I have to formula feed. The doctor was like, well, actually, you know, these are these studies that we've come across. These, This is what we've noticed. So you actually have a choice. And from that moment, I was like, whoa. So, you know, you don't really want to say it's race, ethnicity, color, location in the world, but it absolutely was race, color, ethnicity, and location in the world that had my, the response to me being different than my sister that lives in Africa, that had my response being different from my sister that lives in Virginia. So we called around and actually found a team that would be willing to support my decision. Because that month, I was maybe like six weeks pregnant, eight weeks pregnant, I wasn't sure if I wanted to breastfeed. I just wanted it to be an option. Country and history as mother. 
the ways in which the creation of another can help us to understand our own identity and the spaces we occupy in the world. We have to talk about what's happening in, in Haiti. As a historian and a writer, you help us to make sense of the present through the lens of the past. What can we learn from Haiti's history about creation, mothering and birthing of a national identity, to inform how we think about America today? You know, I think the thing to take away from Haitian history, uh, you know, I didn't get to spend that much time in the country when I was researching. I spent about a week there, like five or six days. Um, But one of the things that was really fascinating to me was that everybody there who you spoke to in conversation, whether it was a more formal conversation or casual conversation, knew their country's history really deeply. Mm. You know, like you would be walking along and they would say, oh, over that mountain, that's where there's a community of um, that's descended from the Polish soldier contingent that came to help us in 1805. And that's why the people over there have green eyes and we have brown eyes because they're descended from Polish soldiers. Mm. That would just be like part of conversation or you'd be driving along and they'd say, oh, over there is, um, you know, the Israeli embassy in um, Israel in the 1940s actually was a great friend to Haiti. And they gave us this this money and this whatever. And these were this was our whole international relation up until this year. And this is why that embassy building is very important to us. Um, and so that sort of like deep understanding of, of a nation's history and the complications of it as well. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, having worked in um, history museums for a good part of my early career, even Americans who claim that they like American history oftentimes just like it as a uh, whitewash version. They like it mm-hmm. as a fairy tale version. They do not like it when you start trying to get into complications and, mm-hmm. well, the U.S. wanted this thing, but they actually did this thing. How do you feel about that? And that usually turns into, I don't want to talk about that. I just want to talk about how great D-Day was or whatever thing that they want to talk about. You know, tea so party, I, tea party. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that deep understanding and knowledge and, and, and reverence for the complications of history is the thing that we can probably take away from Haiti. The things we leave behind our legacies, the mothering of movements, how we guide, create, and nurture change, and our visions of a possible future. In what ways would you describe your philosophy of nurturing, of bringing forth, of mothering as it pertains to your movement and your community work? Because I think that you are someone who is constantly birthing positivity, birthing a new path, finding a new way. And, you know, when you open your mouth to speak, you are opening your mouth to, to, to dig a trench to make a change. Tell me about how you feel about that and how that works for you. You are so poetic. I, <laughs> I just need you to, like, just narrate my life um, every day. It would get me through. And it has gotten me through in, in your work. Um, oh, thank you. Of course. Um, yeah, you know, it's so interesting. I, I just hit 30 um, years old. That ain't nothing, girl. That ain't I nothing. I know. No, I know. But, <laughs> but you know, and, and I'm not having some kind of, well, I guess I'm. we're all kind of constantly having ex- existential crises. But, um, you know, around 30, and I, I think this is true of a lot of folks, particularly women and, and feminine identified folks, you start thinking about legacy in a different way. Yes. You think about 
these kind of concepts of mothering, right? That in a lot of ways can be very essentialist. You know, this mm-hmm. idea of the biological clock running out. You know, even though I am a black trans woman, someone assigned male at birth, someone who is not on any path to give birth. Mm-hmm. In fact, I I am adamantly barren. You know, I, I, I made those choices in, in so many different ways um, with my body, but... That doesn't mean that I I haven't still kind of instilled these ideas of what it means to leave something behind when I'm not mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have been thinking a lot about how my experience differs from a lot of my peers who are not queer and trans, from my older sister and my older brother who both have their own families and, and are um, bringing up children who I adore. I don't know that that is my my path, right? Um, and so for me, it is about thinking of what I can do for movement, what I can do for my communities in a way as, as birthing or reproducing or creating pathways. So I love that you see that and, and articulate that. Um, and for me, you know, I think of particularly about spiritual descendants, just as I was thinking about the spiritual ancestors, right? Is that I am just a notch in this point in time. Mm -hmm. And what is the way that I can be a bridge between ancestors and whoever my descendants will be, right? And they will more than likely not be descendants that, you know, I'm biologically related to. So I have to prepare this earth as much as I can, or at least attempt to, so that it can be better for the next Black, queer, and trans folks coming up, right? When I read roles for mothers, they are often invisible people in a script whose only job is to be a spacekeeper, smiler, a one-dimensional wall for the other roles to bounce off of as they live their full lives. They are rarely the witty, adventurous, rounded, becoming women that I know as mothers. This has taught me that the way we view mothers and motherhood is defined by people who often don't really see them as the vulnerable, intelligent, frightened, joyous, necessary, fully human beings they are. By people who don't really see them at all. Motherhood and mothering is so much more than a one-dimensional space. We have birthed nations, guided movements, led chosen families, raised children, nurtured our sisters, and cared for ourselves. We have found our freedom with our children, separate from what has been defined by mainstream culture or legislated by a state. Motherhood should not be seen as less than, and no mother should have a different experience based on their HIV status, their gender identity, or the color of their skin. So on this day, with a feisty 10-year-old and a soon-to-be newbie, soon like 23 hours, is there anything that you would like to leave here for Zion and this new little person who will be taking breath and squalling and kicking and punching fists in the next day? My Zion and my Zori. 
So my Zion, you are not what these people say that you are. Mommy has raised you to know that you are so much stronger than it. Walk and dance to the beat of your own drum. Lead your sister to do the same. Y'all, all you have. Mommy has paved a way for you to be able to say what you want. Being respectful with other people. But say your voice is not to be muted. No, your voice is just as important as anyone else's. If you want to wear locks and watch anime, do it. Nobody else can say anything about that. They do what they want to, right? You have been prepared with everything that you need to make it through this earth. You have it all inside of you. Do not allow anybody to shut that down. My baby Zori, mommy loves you. She doesn't, hasn't met you yet, but I know that you are a force to be reckoned with. And you got some big shoes to fill, and it's okay if you don't fill them all the way, and it's okay if you go much further than me. Just do the best that you can. And I love both of y'all. And I'm so grateful to have housed you inside of this body. Didn't think I could do it, but we did it. And I love you both. Being Seen is produced by Harley and & Company and created in partnership with Vive Healthcare. If you are looking for resources for women living with HIV, visit the Well Project dot org.